Welcome to Divorce Etc. hosted by us, the ex-experts. We're here to give you all kinds of information and tips on everything divorce. Plus, we're asking a lot of the questions that you may not even think of or know to ask, but we know because we've lived it so we get it. We're Jessica and TH. Hey everyone, welcome to the Divorce Etc. podcast. Um, Jess and I are excited and happy to have Jennifer Lazor here. She's a divorce and family law attorney. She's also the partner and co-founder of Lazor Rantis um, in New Jersey. But I would say more importantly, she was very involved in my divorce case. Um, she was a great sounding board as well as advocate for me. And so I felt like she would be a really great addition to our community of ex-experts. So welcome to our show, Jen. Well, thank you. And thank you for that introduction. It means a lot. I, I'm yeah, really was, excited to have road. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm really excited to have you on because DH obviously talks about her divorce and her experience and, um, you know, everything that it entailed so often on the podcast and uh, on our Instagram and things like that. And I just think it's great for people to be able to hear literally firsthand from someone who worked directly with her. So everyone out there who's listening, like this is the real deal right here. This is OG. Yeah, she was, she, my divorce was very long, very expensive, very emotional turmoil. And I was happy to be out. And Jennifer really was kind of like a very calm sounding board, not excited, not angry, but just kind of like, this is the reality. So she's going to tell us the reality today of things you can control and things you cannot control in your divorce. And she's going to manage your expectations overall right now. Um, but remember, this is just direction and advice. Um, but so let's, let's get into it. Yeah. Everybody wants to know what they can control and what they can. I mean, are there like things right off the bat that people come in with and you're like immediately like stop right there because that's yeah. just. Absolutely. And, and, you know, at the outset, I do want to emphasize it's qualified control, right? This is not a, this is not a conversation about you're going to take this by the reins because you're only control of yourself. You're not control the other side. Right. Not even in control of the process that you elect it, whether it's mediation, litigation, or collaboration. So there are certain controls inherent to each of those processes, you know, that prevail as well. But yes, the answer is right off the bat, there are things that you can do to improve your circumstances. And this might seem like a strange place to start, but the number one thing you are in control of is your mental health and stamina for going through this process. You could be given the best legal advice uh, money can buy, but if you're not in a place where you can hear it, where you could accept that change is going to happen, uh, or you know, in a situation where maybe you're just too depressed and sad to move forward, your lawyer can't help you with those issues, but those issues really will impact, you know, the, your divorce process. So I always like to, you know, in the initial consult, find out who, who's your support, who's in your foxhole, who's your team, who's got your back in this, you know, whether it's a mental health care professional, whether it's your Pilates ladies, whatever, you know, you, this is not something you can do 
without mental fortification in whatever form that means for you. We are big fans of like having your girl gang, having your community of, of support around you for sure. So is you're basically saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, that you want to make sure that people coming in are either in therapy or have a place to be able to put all of this because you are not the, the mental health expert and you are not the therapist. We've had a lot of divorce lawyers talk about, don't waste your time telling me yeah. all of those things. Like I'm not a therapist and that's not what you would need to pay me for. So and I'll, yes. And I'll add another component to that, which is, you know, there's no um, relief. There's no court order. There's no agreement that's going to give you emotional closure. You know, so if you are investing all of your energy and resources in pursuing that, you're probably going to be disappointed Mm. and you might even make your divorce more expensive and last longer than it needs to because you're not there yet. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense, particularly the idea that you're inherently going to be disappointed if you're not handling the mental part of the divorce? Yeah. If your goals are oriented in addressing your emotions rather than remedies, a court or an agreement can actually give you in your divorce. I I do think there's going to be an element of dissatisfaction. We we talk about that all the time and, and remind people that divorce is, is such a big word, right? It's like, holy crap divorce. It's like a tornado hitting you. But a small part of it is the actual legal process, the emotional side of it that's going to get you to move forward once you get that seal on that paper, which by the way, was January 24th for me. Um, (laughs) But like, then what do you do? So I think that that's really important to make sure that you have a good support. I had my parents, well, I had my dad, and um, Jessica and, and I had each other. Yeah, <laughs> but that was it. It's not qual. It's not quantity. It's quality, because there were tons of people who wanted to get involved, but they were not going to be healthy for me to be able to kind of get through all the surprises that came my way. So, what are some of the other things that people can control or cannot control that they may not even be thinking about? Because I feel like starting off with the emotional impact of it is a great place to start because it's, I don't think it's the first thing someone would think of when thinking of like, what can I control in my divorce? Learn your information, you know, um, know what, where your accounts are, know what the income is, know what your expenses are. Now, information can come in waves because information is not always accessible to a spouse, you know, maybe there was one of you was in control of that and the other was more hands-off. Maybe accounts aren't in your name. Um, So you might walk into the divorce process informationally deficient, Mm -hmm. Um, but that likely will be remediated through information gathering as part of the divorce process. What I have found is that sometimes people, even as the information comes in, they're overwhelmed by it. Yes. You know, it's it's a lot of paper or a lot of computer screens now. I have very little paper. I, <laughs> we're trying. Um, but it's a lot of information, particularly if you weren't the spouse who did this, quote unquote. Um, 
but there's there's no way around it there's only through so you've got to start to understand the numbers of your case as soon as you can because it impacts multiple levels of of what's going on you know you need to make a decision about what you're willing to do to settle your case or what you're willing to do to push it to trial if the numbers aren't what you want. Um, you also need to be able to direct, to a certain extent, your attorney what issues to pursue. You know, just because your friend's divorce involved a spouse who dissipated assets or had extramarital expenditures, that doesn't mean yours does, you know? So you need to be able to have an informed conversation with your attorney about, you know, what's really, what really are our problems here? What are the issues that I wanna spend money on to pursue? Um, and you can only have that conversation. You can only give that direction if you have a basic understanding of what's going on. Nobody's asking you to become a forensic accountant or an attorney yourself. But there is a role of participation that's very influential uh, that you could achieve by, by reading the papers, by, by understanding or speaking up when you don't and asking questions. It's a really important part of the process that's 100% within your control. How, when, as a divorce attorney, I am curious to know, how, how, what percentage of clients come into you that you feel are quote unquote adequately prepared or informed versus the number of people that come in who really are maybe more like I was and, and TH was coming in, like throwing shit at the wall, seeing what sticks, not like necessarily being organized or knowing what the issues were just, oh my God, I got to get through this. Part of what we try to do with ex-experts is help people to empower themselves by knowing like what questions they should ask when they're interviewing attorneys and what issues and topics they should be prepared to discuss when they are going to meet with a lawyer. But like, do you feel like most people are prepared or not? So I don't know if I could divide it into a percentage or allocate it into a percentage. Some people are really conversant with the numbers, others are not. But what I really emphasize is a need to educate yourself when you're not among those who, you know, is facile with the finances. And you know what? Sometimes we have to get an accountant involved, not for a full-on forensic investigation, but just to go over some basic principles or a financial advisor who helps create a budget going into the future. Um, it's it's a remedial problem, right? It, it, it's something you can learn if you don't come into the process knowing it. You just have to be willing to learn it, which kind of ties back to my first point. If you're stuck, mm -hmm. if you're resistant to change, if you're not in a place where you can participate in this process, it trickles down. You know, it's not just you need fortification to get you through the emotionality of the process. You need fortification because it's difficult. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of different aspects to it. 
we talk about, we actually just did a recording about that, how knowledge is power and it's your life. And you know, the big thing that is consistent for everybody going through a divorce is it's a shift. It's a shift and it's an opportunity if you want to take it, but it's only an opportunity if you empower yourself with knowledge so that you can stand on your own and feel confident with your choices instead of being like, whatever, whatever she says, whatever, whatever, whatever they want, whatever you have to own those whatevers because it's going to come back to you and you can't be upset about it. So you really need to learn. And I definitely had a lot of learning to do. I think I learned a lot of stuff that I shouldn't have even had to need, didn't even need to know, (laughs) but now I know. And, um, it's your life. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. It's your life. It's your kids if you have kids. And so I wouldn't take it lightly. I think it's really important to own where you are, what you have as an opportunity and weigh the pros and cons. Like Jennifer said, you know, some things aren't worth fighting for. So put the emotions behind that somewhere else and let's like get the business going here. I'm curious when people come in, I, I appreciate that you're saying like anyone who comes in has to have, you know, decide for themselves to some extent what the major issues are, what they want to focus on, inform you of what the problems are, so to speak. But I, I would imagine that a lot of people come in and they're like, I don't know, I need your guidance. And I want right. you to direct me of like what this path should be and what road we're going to go down. That's How do why you- the information flows. You know, it's not linear, it comes in. So as you're getting account statements and things are making sense, maybe you don't need a forensic investigation to see, you know, where 599 went, you know, or, or some nominal sum. So no, I agree. I, and, and it's an unrealistic expectation that everybody initially sitting down at my conference room table is, is going to have the lens, the perspective to say, this is what I want to pursue in this litigation. I think my point is more, we're going to get that information. You're not always going to be at a deficit. This isn't always going to be an unknown variable, but partner up with me and make decisions about what, what is it worth to pursue and what is something that, you know, maybe, maybe it's not. Do you often find that people are coming in and giving you um, insight into what they do deem the problems to be? And in your analysis, you're thinking to yourself, yeah, you're totally focused on the wrong things. Um, you know, in an initial converse, uh, conversation with someone, I, I like to just let them talk, you know, and, and kind of let them get it out and feel that they've gotten the information that they need to, to tell me. Um, and once we've kind of gone through that, then I might discern, you know, it, it kind of, it, it kind of depends on what you're ready to hear. And part of that is what do you have the information available to you to decide? Are we just speculating? Are we just guessing? Mm-hmm. Or do we have some information to back up our decisions? You know, um, if somebody comes in and, and has a really extreme view of, of a position, I'm going to articulate that. And they might not retain me as a result of that, you know? What um, might an example of that be? Um, an example would be, 
something like I want to have the children 100% of the time, or the other person can see the children for dinner on Sundays, and that's it. Um, absent, you know, uh, extreme conduct that, that would warrant such a restriction, that's probably not a realistic parenting time dynamic, you know? Right. So, so that would be a conversation, you know, or you hear, um, it's my money, you know, and, and you have to have a conversation about, mm, no, it, it just because it's in your name doesn't mean it's your money. It was earned during the marriage. It's marital funds. So those are, those are some ex- extremes that, that I had to address at the outset. Are you thinking about dating again after divorce, but have no idea where to start? Maybe you need a little self-esteem boost or brush up on your conversation skills. Are you overwhelmed by all the new dating apps and crazy jargon? If the answers are yes, then let relationship expert and dating coach Jennifer Hurwitz be your thinking partner, your cheerleader, and unbiased opinion when you need one. Divorced herself, Jennifer also survived the dreary dating waters, and so can you. It's her job to set you up for success, help you gain the confidence you need to attract the partner you deserve. If you're open to making positive changes and starting on your journey to finding love, book a free clarity call with Jen today on her website, jenniferherbits.com. And if you mention the ex-experts, you'll receive a special discount. So what are some of the other things that you would recommend for people to really be taking note of and thinking of with regards to what they can and can't control? So my favorite one is tone. You know, you set the tone of your litigation. If there are a bunch of nasty letters being circulated, number one, check your bill and find out how much you're paying for those letters. Number two, find out what purpose do they serve other than create needless polarity and acrimony, you know, which I bet you already have enough of, um, you know, letters in general, state a position, confirm notice of, of an event um, or request information. But very commonly in my practice, I see pages and pages of a pox upon you and your house, you know, and I, I just, on the one hand, it's, it's comical because I'm distant enough from it to, to read it that way. But then there's that moment of dread of, oh my gosh, I have to send this to my client. And it is going to create a spiral of, okay, do we need to respond in kind? And let me explain to you why I don't think it's necessary to respond in kind. Um, it's a real problem, I think. The, the tone of the letters or, you know, sometimes you have to prepare papers in court and they're written as though they're from your perspective, but everybody knows your attorney is writing them and going over them with you. If, if it doesn't read the way that you feel, if it doesn't express who you are, you're signing that or your attorney on your behalf is submitting that. That's your message. Are you okay with your message? You know, that's huge. Um, I think it's it's so huge. I think it really, you know, at the end of the day, more likely than not, you're going to be shoved into some sort of settlement 
situation. And if you have piles and piles and piles of just white noise and you haven't really gotten into it, where are you going? You know, what, what is this serving? Who is this protecting? Is it just sport or is there a purpose behind it? So I, um, you know, oftentimes a nasty letter or outrageous position paper will come in and my client will challenge her spouse, you know, or his spouse. What is this? Why did you authorize this to be sent? Right. And the response that trickles down is, oh, it's just from the attorney. Oh, no, it's not. That is you. That's a really important thing for people to hear. I think that is really important. Yeah, because otherwise you're not reading what your lawyer's sending. Right, right. And and so that's like what I was saying before. You're just kind of blowing it off. You're like, yeah, whatever. Just send it. Just send it. And then then it's a reflection on you. And also, if you are in front of a judge, that's like not a good reflection on you at all. And and. We definitely had a lot of that in my, um, in my divorce, it was definitely more coming towards us. And I'm sure there were a few occasions where we responded in kind and it just, it just, it was a shit show. I mean, we were just running around in circles and we weren't making any, any progress, you know, for a very long time. And, but so what do you do when it's not your side and you can't control it? So if, if it's, you know, you're, you know, my ex, right. We can just use me stuff is coming in. And then how do we take control? If the other side is just, I feel like I was, you know, we were dragged a lot, but we don't fully go back to that. But what do you do when you're in that position? You're like, you're trying to handle this in a respectful way. The other side is not. What do you do? It starts for me with a conversation with my client, you know, because as an attorney, I don't want to be perceived by my client that I'm being weak, that I'm not advocating for you. So I need to get on the same page with my client that this isn't advocacy. This isn't strength. This is just white noise. And I have to be on the same page with my client that our response is not going to be in kind, you know, or we are not going to trade nasty superlatives with one another for the sake of doing it. And are you okay with it? Do you understand why I'm making that decision? Are you on the same page with me? Because I tell you, this is why it's such a, an emphatic topic with me because it has a domino effect. You know, somebody fires that first shot and then all of a sudden, what are you going to do? Constantly take the high road. At some point, your client might feel abused by that stance. Right. You know, where's my voice in this? I'm angry too. You know, why can't I express my anger this way? I want to call him or her some names too. And then it becomes everything you don't want your divorce to be, you know? So it is, it is very hard to, to, to be on the, not the provoker of that, you know? Um, you want your client to feel protected at all times. I lose a lot of sleep worrying that everybody feels that way. 
Um, you want to be a strong advocate for your client, but I can't emphasize enough. This is just belly aching. This isn't, this isn't serving any purpose. And at the end of the day, you're all going to be sitting around a conference room table having exchanged all this, and you're going to have to fashion a manner of speaking civilly with one another to, to form a solution to your divorce. So it is a lot of communication with your client to make sure that you are on the same page with how you are responding. Um, it's an important partnership issue. Do we see this issue the same way? Um, uh, yeah, that's, I think my best answer for that. And then I think everyone should hear from you also, based on my experience, when you go to court and you choose that path, I felt like I gave up a lot of control. I had a judge who knew nothing about me, was just reading the written word and making decisions. And so if you think that being in front of a judge is where you want to be, explain more like you really like you're kind of putting everything in the hands of strangers, right? Well, you're not kind of, you are. You are absolutely right. doing that. Now, look, sometimes you're the actor that makes that necessary. Sometimes you're not. And you're there because of the other side, you know, um, a, a, a judge is many things. Um, but somebody who knows you, somebody who has the ability to soak up your case the way that you have lived it forever, is that that's not available to you. There's just not enough resources uh, for the judge to know you that well. Um, the judge is there to have a trial. You know, if you have filed a divorce complaint, the judge thinks you're there to have a trial, notwithstanding the fact that most cases do settle. And there, there are, I don't, I want to circle back to your initial question, but I want to make this point too. There are settlement initiatives built into even a litigated divorce process. The problem is they come pretty late in the game after Yes, a ton <laughs> you know? of boxes of paperwork first. Oh, I know. Yeah. So, so in terms of trying not to surrender your control to the judicial system or even a mediation can become a, a pretty big event um, in terms of time, multiple appearances and, and preparation of work. I mean, I've had mediations that go on for months, you know. Um, it's, it's the sooner you could get control, um, of your matter by doing some of the things we've talked about, informing yourself about the information, trying to control your tone, um, being in a place where you can make decisions that further yourself and your family, um, you know, he, when you're in a litigation mode, there's there's talk about, you know, I want what I'm entitled to. Yeah, I, I just a lot of talk like that. So here's the thing, though. What you are entitled to is such a subjective inquiry in New Jersey because the law is very circumstance-driven. You know, there's 16 different factors for each issue that a court has to weigh 
And one judge could see them very differently than another judge. So in New Jersey, which is where I practice and all I can speak of, um, what you are entitled to is a very fluid concept. Um, I think you need to get to a point with the aid of your attorney and if you're working with experts to be able to identify, here's what I want and here's what I need. Mm. And your settlement probably lies somewhere in between want and need. Entitlement is too esoteric of a topic to even introduce into the equation. I think the idea of wants versus needs is hugely important for people to hear because I think that that can get very muddled um, in terms of what people are hoping to get out of it. Would you agree with the philosophy of if both parties leave thinking the other person got a pretty <laughs> good deal that, that you made out okay? Um, probably there's some truth in that. You know, what, what I like to do and this is another one of those questions that is revisited throughout the lifespan of your divorce process. I will at different junctures ask, you know, what are the top three things that are most important for you to achieve? Yeah. And just always have those at the ready. Sometimes they're always the same thing. They never change. Sometimes they change. Over the you know? course of someone's actual process. So you're saying you may yeah. have asked TH that question in the beginning and then maybe six maybe months later asked Maybe different answer six months later. Interesting. Yeah, you're in a different emotional state six months in also. And information Good or bad. As well. Right. Yeah. Right. You found out different things. Yeah. Or information that you thought was correct is wrong. Right. You know, you may have been looking for something that was never there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, look, the whole topic in general of like what you can and can't control in divorce is such a sensitive one because yeah. a, everyone's coming at it from such a different place and, and everyone is in such a different emotional state. It's really hard to compartmentalize the pain and the anger and like the resentment and bitterness that someone may be feeling from their divorce with, okay, but we need to come out of this in a practical matter and like think pragmatically about how this is going to look and, you and know, you're ready to go punch a wall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, it, it, it really is just a great topic for us to be talking about. So um, thank you so much for your insight on all of that. I think it's really helpful for everybody to hear. I think there are probably a lot more things that we could discuss with regards to what you can and can't control. But I think this was really a great place to start. So I appreciate you taking the time and sharing that with us. Oh, no, I, I enjoyed the conversation a lot. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Divorce Etc. with the ex-experts. We really hope this episode was helpful for you in getting information you need and feeling empowered to get through it. And always remember, there are so many of us just like you. Now, please hit the subscribe button so you always get new episodes and please rate and review us. You can also check out our website filled with free resources at xexperts.com. Follow us on social on Instagram and Facebook and send us an email to let us know your thoughts or any questions or topics you'd like us to talk about. See you next time.